I will awaken quickly for the sake of all sentient beings and for all beings' wisdom, compassion, and non-clinging awareness. Excellent, as they say in some places of the world. Excellent. So, do you have any questions this evening before we dive back into the text? If you have any, you may not. But if you have any? Yes. humans have children. Now, did you learn about the birds and the bees at, at some point? I didn't know that we'd have to do that in this class. See, this, this, is, this is why uh, we study this. It's very good. It's why we study this because, you see, uh, always remember that uh, beings do things even if they suffer for them. Uh, all uh, Sentient creatures do all kinds of things even if they are painful and cause uh, suffering. And then remember that not all suffering is painful. And then a lot of suffering is never ever seen or acknowledged as suffering. And yet with the eyes to see, it's massive suffering. It's massive dukkha. So for those two reasons alone, you then could understand why uh, uh, human beings are doing all kinds of things. Maybe even having children when the couple shouldn't be having children or the individual person shouldn't be having children or not having children when it would be a wonderful thing to have a child. So it, it, it's, it, it's almost like uh, assuming as economists have for quite a long time, until very recently, that human beings are rational. They actually act as rational agents. They don't. For most of the time, human beings don't do things rationally. They do things because they're driven but they make stories about why they're doing it to explain what is actually quite irrational, or not, it's not even as irrational, non-adaptive activity. It's quite something. Over and over and over and over and over again. So it's, it's uh, so, so most, a lot of human activity, maybe even most of human activity, is not very well thought out. It's not very conscious. It's, uh, it's just straight, straightforward. Take a look at it. Open your eyes. And, um, but there are extraordinary pockets of creativity and illumination and wisdom and compassion. Fantastic things go on as well. So, so it's very important 
not to be uh, so negative. And at the same time, even though the, uh, the world, see, it's not the world. This is easy. So uh, there's different levels of teaching. For the being that is bewildered, the world can be a wonderful place as long as they're not having obvious suffering. Yes? For the person who is suffering a lot, it can be an awful world and they can't wait to get off it. But, but they're not going to until they die. Okay? Who's creating that world? Is it the world that's bad, or is it minds that create this hallucination? Take a look around you. Is, tell, me, tell me, is this a special place on the planet? Yes. You might go, yes. yes. But actually, I've been to, you know, people tell but I've been to so many places on this planet, all over, that are glorious, including cities, including countryside, not just retreat centers. Fantastic, wonderful places. Amazing places on this planet. This planet's a, one, a wondrous place. So is the entire universe. So this has more to do with the consciousness and its viewing of the universe than a bad universe. The universe isn't bad. Take the blinkers off and it gets more and more interesting, in fact. More and more interesting all the time. But... Uh, for uh, human beings, generally speaking, if you take a look at the numbers, 7.2 mil- uh, billion people, there are billions of people who are having a very, very hard, difficult time right now and very, very bewildered about it. Why are they here? Why are they doing it? They don't even have a choice. You realize that, right? They don't have a choice. They act out of cultural, biological, social, family pressure and conditioning, and they don't have a clue where they're going or how it's happening. But lots of stories about it. It all makes sense with all the stories. Right? Makes perfect sense. If you're in that story, someone looking outside goes, you got to be kidding. For that person... This is the way life is, right? Just the way life is. So people don't, don't do things rationally. Not actually rational actors. And if they were doing things rationally and intellectually sound, that doesn't even mean it's in the best service or best action. Because it might not be ethically or morally grounded. Or even with their heart. So as the Buddha said, you need, a, you need to have liberation of the heart and you need to have liberation of wisdom, both. Or as Namjoon should often say, liberation of the heart and liberation of the mind. You need those two, two to function together and to be liberated and in unity. So I hope that helps a bit. But, but uh, don't assume people are doing things for, for uh, thinking about compassion. They're not. I'm not talking about the vast majority. I, I get to meet wonderful people who, who are actually. It's great. And, and as a group of people, uh, you're actually uh, quite bright that way. But you may discover in this retreat, as happens, that some things that you thought you were doing uh, quite okay are no longer... I hope, you, I hope you see those things. And you go, 
That's not okay, actually. That's actually not okay. But uh, society would say it's okay. But for you now, it's not okay. It actually doesn't make any sense. This is, this is one of the most important things of, of being in retreat is the time and space discover behaviors that are actually non-adaptive to being awake, bright, and free that you thought before were actually pretty good. Do you understand? They were, they were pretty good. And I know because you're telling me these things, I, I'm very pleased that you're discovering these things. Why this text is so important is it, is it brings these out. You could be just sitting there meditating, doing mantras. But, and mantras are important because you are doing mantra. Mantra is the nature of awareness. Mantra means um, uh, pristine awareness, actually. So, uh, it's good. It's good. Make discoveries. You keep mining. You keep mining, like a gem miner, a gold miner, and you will find uh, that your behavior and your activities will change. And if you hear the teaching and you practice, you will see that the organism straightens out and reaches more and more and more for pockets of freedom. As if you were an opal miner uh, boring tunnels in, the, in Australia, reaching and trying to find pockets of opals. Yes? Every once in a while, you are Eureka. Every once in a while, you go Eureka. My God, that's amazing. Okay, any other, any other questions? Yes. Um, so the seeming qualities of the mind that practice. You gave some example of a wine taste or sour camel breath and so forth. Camel breath. <laughs> so shoe leather. Shoe leather. Can you give us a little bit of a taste sampler of? Yes. Could you get the camel breath, please? Camel, the bottled camel breath is. Is that that's what you mean? Bogadeshi, Bogadeshi, uh, uh, grade E. <laughs> Have you all seen where Bogadeshi is located? It's a it's a coffee growing region. You should take a look at the map in the in the in the uh, kitchen. There's a map of the coffees of the world. Just go take a look at where Bogadeshi is. Yes, carry on. So can you Yeah, yeah, uh, but but right now you see the thing. The thing is, if we do that, we we go over to what's called the fifty-two chetasikas in the tradition of Abhidhamma, tradition of, of of insight meditation. You don't need that now. Also, just pleasant, unpleasant. That's exactly right. Why? Mm-hmm. It's sufficient, and it's high level sufficient. If, as the Buddha said, if you can discern those, you're an enlightened being. I mean, he, he meant over and over consistently you're in it you're seeing it this is pleasurable this is unpleasurable mental activity most beings cannot do that they cannot discern it correctly though they think they can you'll find out that in fact that which you thought was pain wasn't that which you thought was pain or pleasure was imagination that which you thought was a pleasurable mental activity in fact was a walled-off experience, or was a phony pleasure. You, you, you see? So you, you, you develop deeper appreciation, taste for that. And then, how much the day is spent having mental qualities that you're not aware of at all. How much the day is spent neutrally walled off, and yet with a smile on your face because it's demanded, or, or this sort of thing. Or how much the day do you feel actually not very pleasant, but you thought you were. 
word. And especially when you uh, open up the, um, what's it, the blinkers, no, the open up the uh, ray gun of, of meditation, you see all kinds of things. All kinds of things. Yes? So one more question. Say you find pleasant, unpleasant, but you don't ever find indifference. Is that the one to go be curious? Uh, yes, be curious why you're not seeing uh, indifference mm-hmm. or, or gray neutrality. Very likely there somewhere that there's, there's walling off. Mm-hmm. But the mind may not be able to see it. Some people exhibit that characteristic more than others. Some people are very, almost, it's right out front, the indifferent being. Very indifferent, very cool. Very cool, very indifferent, walled off, distant, keep, keep things away. And then you have uh, quite the opposite person. It's all, sort of all up front, pleasure or unpleasurable. Pleasurable, unpleasurable. Pleasurable, unpleasurable. Yeah, go find it. Go find it. Well, maybe maybe on the twenty first. What do you think, James, uh, Raphael? What do you think on the twenty first? We should extract the essence of camel breath for everybody <laughs> instead of coffee. What do you think? Sounds better. Okay, you'll have to round up the uh, the uh, camel mouths. Okay. Yeah, maybe you need thirty or forty camel mouths, or maybe shoe leather. Essence of shoe leather. Pardon? We need everybody's shoes. Everybody's shoes. Yes. Yes. We can. What we could do is put everybody's shoes in the flask, and then steam distill it. See what comes out. Wouldn't that be something? Maybe the first time ever on this planet is a steam distillation of people's shoes. Okay, now we're, we're, we're straying for sure. Uh, any others? Any others? Hey, you're laughing. This is good. This is good. As opposed to crying or something. So I can make these jokes here in Canada, but if I, if I did that in certain other countries, I'd... that look of, is there a joke? Making fun of us. Making fun of us? Something. But here, actually, there's some laughter. Monica's kind of trying to still figure this out. <laughs> this doesn't, this, there's no sense of humor here. There's no humor. Yeah, yeah. No, actually, I'm just having fun. Just having fun. Be fun. Yes, question? Oh, okay. okay, let's turn to the text. Very interesting um, uh, commentary, which comes up in some texts, in this one and others, uh, concerning uh, having the plague, but then having cuts. So remember about neutrality, uh, or the, no, not, not neutrality, but the omnipresent suffering, or the all-pervasive suffering. And, have all of you, you've all been, have you all of you, you've all been sick, yes? With a flu or pneumonia or something like that. And have any of you had something like a very uh, sort of chronic case of lower back pain, or or uh, uh, you've been cut, like you got, you got a really serious cut the week before, this kind of thing. Have you noticed that how when there's a really strong illness, the other gets knocked out? Mm-hmm. Have you had this before? This is, this is, this is uh, what they refer to in the commentaries too, concerning the plague, because plague was actually common. Isn't that amazing? We would say the flu, pneumonia. We don't usually refer to the plague, right? Black plague, black death. Here they're actually referring to surviving plague. Isn't that amazing? And plague two is probably flu, common flu. People didn't survive the flu. So, um, isn't that isn't that fascinating? To to when you're really suffering, the common suffering vanishes. 
but it's there all the time. This is a very good, very good way of, of illustrating this omnipresent suffering, is that uh, it, takes, it takes a serious uh, suffering to uh, knock out the pervasive one because the discernment isn't enough. Now, when you go back to normal, it's like it's okay. It's like, it's like being cut all over. Imagine being cut all over and bleeding, and you're not aware of it. Or how many people have trekked here, like long treks? And you realize later, maybe at the end of the day, that you've been in a lot of pain all day, but you just kind of had to ignore it? Or there's, there's blood in your boot? Ever heard that? Blood in your boot? And you just, uh, at the end of the day, you take the boot off and go, wow, there's lots of blood in the boot. Not because of leeches, because your foot's opened up and it's bleeding now. It's been bleeding for hours. Yeah. So this is... So what else is bleeding? So, in the last session of this, uh, we ended with, and we'll feel the all-pervasive suffering. The saintly are like the I, and will feel the all-pervasive suffering. I is E-Y-E, not uh, I. Number two, suffering of change. The second type, the suffering of change, is so-called because all the pleasure and happiness of samsara will eventually change into suffering, gross suffering. At some point, it gets gross. Yes? Gross in terms of the flu, gross in terms of the, the plague, gross in terms of broken arm, excruciating pain, uh, retching one's guts out, poisoned, all the, all the obvious ones, accident, uh, loss of a loved one, all, all these kinds of things, yes? says in the White Lotus of Great Compassion Sutra, quote, the kingdom of gods is a cause of suffering. All the human kingdoms are also a cause of suffering. We have to find out why. Why? Now you see, it sounds repeatedly as if the kingdom, the place, samsara as a place. So remember the different levels of teaching. We have to introduce this to you because some of you have already had this many times and you're already cottoning on to it. So... The kingdom is a bad place. The kingdom is a place of suffering. It's a way of teaching which for many is the only way to grasp it and bring them out of it. So let me give you an example. Uh, this is commonly referred to and, and especially Namjur Rinpoche often uses. The house is burning, but you can tell the kids the house is burning, but they won't come out. They're still playing with their toys as the house is burning. Is the house the bad place, or is the mind state, the clinging, the bad thing, the, 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 the difficult thing, right? So, so at the first level, you have to, you have to cry wolf. You have to tell people that this, the, the environment that they've created or they're in is causing them sickness and stress. This is a first level. So, for instance, something I do with students to some degree, or with students, is I sometimes will spend a lot of time with students uh, um, with their food, how to eat. I'm not, not saying that they can't eat, but everything around food is an issue. Or clothing. Uh, I mentioned one young man uh, didn't know how to clothe themselves, never, never taught how to clothe themselves. That was an important lesson for him about appearance, dressing, feeling good about himself, all to do with appearance and maps. So, so 
in this sense, we could go right to mind and say, look at your mind. It's your mind, your mind, right? But actually, uh, it's very important to understand out of compassion that at many, many levels, the first thing to change is the environment uh, of the being. So, for instance, the person may be an impoverished being. Everything is poor for them. They buy poor food because they think they can't afford anything better. They'll buy second-grade shoes so they fall apart. Uh, poor clothing. Um, the apartment they pick, uh, let's say, is the basement. They could have spent $15 more a month to be up above. Do you, do you follow what I'm saying? Maybe a synthetic carpet, but if they could have spent $100 more, they could have gotten a wool carpet. This, this kind of poverty mind or thinking... I'll, I, well, I couldn't take those courses at college or university. Uh, they're a bit more expensive or they require course materials, something like that. So it's, it's constantly going to the cheapest uh, avenue. So that may be something that for many, many years is worth working on to get the person to feel better about themselves, to be able to function in the world. Because the world is not an easy place. Do you see? The world is not an easy place. It's full of misery. But in fact, what's full of misery? The clinging to a particular idea about themselves and about the way the world is. That's the problem, not the world. So listen to the language. The kingdom of God is a cause of suffering. No. It is not. All the human kingdoms are also a cause of suffering. Now, you could say, according to tradition, that a king, that a godlike realm, it's very difficult to wake up from it because it's so darn blissful. Like trying to take uh, sometimes Vajragini meditators in retreat and scrape them off the wall, the ceilings, because they're so blissful and say, wake up, be present. Sure. And they're just like blissed right out. Come on, wake up. I am, I am. I got these kind of goofy faces. Really, quite goofy faces. I had a whole room full of them once. <laughs> 17 women. Two and a half, three week retreat in Vajragini. And there's like... There goes another one on the ceiling. Try to get the, you know, spatula? <laughs> but really like that. So, uh, so in theory, according to tradition, let's say in theory, according to tradition, maybe not theory, uh, the godlike realms are not an easy place. They are suffering because it's so difficult to awaken. So see where the view is. What's the environment that's conducive to liberation? Human, right? That's what it says. But, um, but is it the place? You see? So a more common way of teaching is to say the realm, the place, is the difficult thing. In fact, it's the mind. We'll find that out. No, I won't, I won't come up. In a way, it's the human realm because there's pleasure... There's unpleasure and there's also transient. Yes. So you kind of travel from one realm or from one state to the other. That's correct. 
That's correct. And why, it, it, why it's conducive for liberation is because it keeps changing. That because it keeps changing, it makes it actually very suitable for wisdom, realization, insight. Easy to see where you're clinging. That, that's right. It keeps coming up in your face. If it was constant misery, can you imagine? You get up in the morning, and it's misery from morning till night. And you fall asleep, and all the dreams are bad. You get up in the morning, and it's just hell. Then that's completely what you're focused on. And you couldn't see a change. Because if someone says to you, no, it keeps changing, you couldn't see it at all. But uh, if you can see that state's changing, you can now meditate on impermanence. If you're a godlike being, and it's blissfully clear for 20, 30 million years, earth years, there's a problem. Because if someone comes along, a bodhisattva flying through one of your palaces says, you know, all things change. They'll go, doubt it. Hey, Harry, check, check him out. He's an idiot. Nothing changes around here. We're blissful for 20, 30 million years at a time. <laughs> right? So, so, so very, very difficult to meditate. And you see this among meditators who are very blissful and have now feeling good about themselves. And they don't, they don't progress. They don't move. Why? There's nothing there to egg them on. So they're in a godlike realm. I feel good. Got the morning, feel good. Go to sleep, feel good. It's all it's pervasive. So, so, so this is a, the human human realm is very, very ideal because the changes are fast enough, deep enough, obvious enough, gross enough to meditate for insight. Yes, is that, is that okay? Understand? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can experience as a human being all the realms, every single realm. Eight of that, eight of that, sixteen of that, thirty-two of that. You know, this God realm, that God realm, that burning hell realm. You, all of us can experience those realms in this lifetime. And that is really conducive to insight. Within those realms, uh, as a human and experiencing all the six realms, can I also like, start discerning what is pleasurable, what is unpleasurable? Yep. 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 Yes, you can. But if it's really strong, like a really strong hell state, it's just too strong. So you want to have this human-like realm of on-off, on-off, pleasure-pain, 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 so you can actually contemplate it. If it's too strong, like when you're really sick and you've got a broken leg, it's very, very hard for you know, say, Okay, now do your, medita- do your meditation. All the energies are tied up in what? Throbbing, burning pain. You've all had this, Yes. Very, very hard to actually do good meditation when you're in agony. Now, Namjoon Rinpoche would often have us in places that were very difficult and challenging to meditate, not, not peaceful environments. Why? You rise the challenge. You just rise the challenge. It's very good. And sometimes very peaceful, like a place like this, and then a place that's noisy, busy, difficult, and uh, uncomfortable. So you can actually rise to it. You can go, I'm cutting through. I'm going to cut through. I'm going to cut through. See? So you need both. 
So you really, really don't always want to have peaceful places to meditate. You want challenging places, and then very, very peaceful places. Is that? Because it's really too difficult, too hellish, or too godlike. Not a chance. No, no, no chance. I remember, remember going, I won't say where, but remember going through a retreat center. It wasn't a Buddhist retreat center, but it could have been. But through a retreat center that was glorious, the most beautiful garden, somewhere, somewhere, won't say where, but just beautiful. So beautiful. Gardens everywhere. Buildings sculpted and whitewashed and meticulous and every blade of grass and roses growing everywhere. Sort of thing. I was with a, a person who's now now teaching. At that time, uh, was not, but on his way to teaching. And his comment was about three-quarters of the way through, useless place for meditation. Totally useless place for meditation. Just came, just, we're visiting a godlike realm where there's not a hope and H where beings can become liberated. Everything's manicured. Everything's taken care of. Went to the, he said to me, I remember saying, let's go to the dining room, let's see what the dining room's like. Have you, have you been to, anybody of you been to different retreat centers, especially associated with this lineage? Okay. Perfect tables all in a row. Every chair matching. You know, just like being in a, in a resort. Yeah. Hot tubs, massage rooms. I'm not kidding. I've been to some of these places. I was actually one not, not long ago. Everything you can imagine. The art on the walls was lovely. Ohms and ahs and signs and little Buddhas and little Ganeshas. And you walk upstairs, there's flower niches. And, you know, really. So all was perfectly manicured. And we went to the dining room and went, Ooh, there's something funny about this. You, you see? Perfectly catered for. Catered, 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 catered. It's perfect. It's a godlike. So what they've done is these folks, and you can actually read the philosophy of the founding teacher, they created a godlike realm on earth to match where the attainment would be. You see? Stated. Stated. We are, we are creating a physical representation of where you're going to end up if you attain. For sure. I'm not kidding you. It's for real. Okay? And they did. It was a beautiful place. I mean, just the meditation hall was gorgeous. It was absolutely gorgeous. And the acoustics for chanting, you could, it was just, we were, it was wonderful. Designed for group chanting. Everything was, was, was about being in a Dewa, a godlike realm. Yeah? But uh, as this person was very perceptive and often saying things like this, very sharp cutting mind, not a hope in hell of any liberation around here. Let's get it. You know? Yeah, he didn't like it. He found it actually an oppressive feeling of too peaceful, too sweetie, sweetie, nicey, nicey. Yeah. So, I hope this is not me too. So this is fantastic. Eh? You come here and then you go down there. Basic, eh? It's basic, isn't it? Just what you need. It's always been uh, my philosophy, and uh, maybe I won't even presume this now, it certainly looked that way. I never had this discussion with him, but it certainly appeared that way. Is retreat centers of what is needed, what a human being needs. 
I'd like to see more cabins there, actually. I would. I'd like to see more cabins. I'd like to see more lo uh, lovely tents and so on. This is good, but especially as people get older and so on. But and also, so we can we can have retreats all year round. That would be excellent. But uh, some of the most attained uh, uh, beings of capacity to teach uh, meditated and studied under difficult conditions. Why? Because you get to cut through that um, aversion to sensation and I need everything like this and I need everything like this. And you rise to it. You just rise to it. You either rise to it or you leave. And then when you're in a place of great beauty and peacefulness, it's easy. I really mean that. Then when you go to meditate in a really lovely spot that's peaceful and uh, food is lovely, all this is, wow. This is just so darn delightful, <laughs> you know? Wow, it's really good. Mm. You're not being, you know, like on a boat, tossed around, you know, like for days, tossed around like this on your phone and trying to actually hold on to your bed without being thrown off and you're meditating because you've got mantra commitments and you've got your work to do and you're, com you're, you're committed to getting that done, right? And you're... Yeah, you just do it. You just do it. You just do it, right? You, know, you go to the washroom, and then there's another big stink bomb comes up to the to the toilet. <laughs> it's not what I needed right now. Yeah. Or cockroaches, you know. I'm saying, you know, cockroaches running around and the usual stuff. Disturbances. It just is setting into meditation. You know, knock on it. It's the folks coming into vacuum. You know. <laughs> right. I'll go to the officer's nest. Yeah, just, you know. So how are you doing? You know, what's happening today? Good. <laughs> you know, so so, so uh, this, this really, really tests you, you know? It really tests you. So, there you go. There was a question over there, but I think we're, we're going to carry on. Maybe it will get... Okay, yeah. I was just going to say, oh, maybe it will get answered. Sometimes you see I go on a little bit, and people say, oh, you just answered the question. Thank you. Therefore, even if one gained a universal monarchy, wouldn't you like that? Total ultimate power. Is there like these movies? Tony Rock. Tony Rock. Total ultimate power. You have everything. You have total command over all your subjects. You own country. You know, imagine you own a country. You know what happens today when you own countries, right? You don't last very long anymore, right? You own the country, you've got the military under control, finances, the thing, uh, all the money comes to you, you know, all the gold, gold mining comes to you, the dime money comes to you, you get to control everything, and, and you put yourself on the board of the oil company as well, right? A certain country, big country in the world that does that, you know, where you find out that the prime minister and the president actually sit on the board of the largest oil company. Uh, these kinds of things. And it's all going just fine, yes? Because you are a universal monarch. So therefore, even if one gained a universal monarchy over human beings, universal, I mean, you've got the entire universe under your thumb, that would eventually change the suffering. The letter to a friend says, quote, even if one became a universal monarch, one would fall into slavery in samsara. So even if you're a universal monarch, what happens to you? You are slavery. You're a slave to that. So you have to maintain it. You have to protect it. You may have to buy all kinds of arms and weapons and police and military, right, 
just to keep yourself in that position of status. What, ha what happens to you? Can you, go, can you walk down the streets? No, you'll get killed. So you have to go with an armed escort, and even then you don't know if you'll get killed. You know this happens. It's happening right now in a certain country. Top leaders just got all bombed and assassinated. All the top of the security folks in uh, Syria just got wiped out. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Very quick karma, eh? How much torture even was going on? Enslavement? They just got wiped out, targeted. With all that military around, all that protection... Can you imagine living like that? Could you imagine living here and to go into downtown Galliano, which is the hardware store in Daystar, or, or maybe near the ferry, downtown. You have to go with an armed escort. So you have to have maybe two vehicles in front, armed guards, and two in back, right, with armor-plated, and really, for sure, really. And maybe even a helicopter above to see, make sure there's no... Imagine doing that every... You can't even go out. You may not even get permission to go out. This is quite something, isn't it? So you want to be a universal monarch? Because someone, What happens if you're a universal monarch? Somebody guaranteed is going to want to be the universal monarch too, aren't they? And they will be very happy to take away all of your universal monarch monarchiness. <laughs> Therefore, you can spend a lot of your life doing what? Protecting your universal monarchy. Talk about dukkha. You may not even get a chance to use a swimming pool. It's unsafe. Someone might have put you know, too much chlorine in there. Imagine eating food and never knowing if you get poisoned. So you become a slave to what? The universal monarchy. Slave. slave. That would actually be a good contemplation. Do you ever feel like you are a slave to the mind creation that you have found yourself in. A slave to it. You're laughing. That's a good sign, not crying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was good. <laughs> Sounds slightly drunk. Yeah. Oh my God. So you so take a look at that. Are do you feel like you're just a slave again and again and again to the repetitive patterns of this beautiful world? And it's a isn't it a beautiful world? It's a magnificent world then why would you feel like a slave being put through the motions over and over and over and over again? Or going here, bewildered, going there one time, going here, going here, going there, going here, going here, seeking pleasure, seeking relief of pain. Quite something, isn't it? And you're not even a universal monarch. <laughs> not only that, even one who achieved the body enjoyment of Indra, the king of gods, would eventually die and fall. I think that's about one eon. I think uh, Indra, those kind of gods, they last about almost like an entire cycle of the universe. That's how long that godlike realm. That's why they keep referring to Indra. You know? Indra, a couple hundred years later. Indra, a thousand years later. Indra, two thousand years later. Why? Well, they've got another 30 billion years to, to go. As, as the king of all gods. And then eventually it's very sudden. Very painful. <laughs> uh, 
Anyways, eventually die and fall. Again, the letter to a friend says, even though one becomes Indra, who is praiseworthy, one will fall down to, uh, to the earth by the power of karma. You can't escape karma. Cannot be done. So what happens when you go, well, if I was just wealthy enough, I'd be, I'd be free. Or now that I've got uh, it all together, there's an underlying anxiety. They usually say in the text fear, but it's anxiety usually. It can be fear. Is I could lose it at any moment. Right? I could lose it all in the stock market. Or I could lose it all if they change the banking laws. Or in some countries, if you wake up in the, in the morning and you read in the newspaper or something, they tell you, your money is worthless. <laughs> or they've taken all your money away. Or, yeah. Or your farm has just been confiscated, by the way. You've been confiscated, your farm, just to let you know. You can no longer live here. Your farm is gone or your business is gone. We've taken it away or nationalized it or whatever it is. Yeah. So would there be fear in those countries? Yes. Right? Some anxiety, low-level or high-level anxiety uh, quite often. So it's called the anxiety of loss of happiness. So even if you've got it, it could go anytime. This is very important. Uh, part of this, of this uh, number two, right? Called suffering of change, is even if you've got happiness, you know you're going to lose it sometime. If it's not now, it's going to be later. Isn't that right? Of all, are all of us going to lose our health at some point? Yep. Except for my grandmother, <laughs> the one I know for sure was the exception. Oh, she did a little bit at the end. Maybe, maybe she had stomach cancer. It's hard to know. But went to 99. I used to say to Rinpoche, he'd talk about this, and i go, no, she's the exception. We had a good joke over that. She is the exception. Her genetics were so strong that it was unfallible. It's just like a, like a, a, a tank. You know? So look, then take a look for that anxiety. Is there an anxiety? And then you can say, well, I don't really have it. But when you uh, contemplate and you're sitting on your rear end, meditating or standing or walking, do you feel a, uh, an anxiety that something could go wrong or that something will change or the, the good feeling you have now may actually change? And then I'll be back into it, back into that, that unhappiness. So even if you're happy... Now you have to do everything you can to protect that happiness. Is that, is that freedom? Would you say that's freedom? A definition of freedom. That now that you're happy, you're going to have to maintain that happiness. Okay, well, I'll go and practice yoga. I'll do some Feldenkrais. All right, what I'll do is actually to feel really on top of it, I'll do some karate. <laughs> or kung fu. Yes? And I'll feel really good. But after that, now I have... Okay, I'll take a shower. That will feel good. I'll take a shower. And then I'll eat some high-protein um, powder. Yeah? Oh, quinoa. High-protein <laughs> superfood. Quinoa. Whoa. But you know what happens? But you're worried. Underneath all that, you're worried. There's an anxiety of, I'm going to lose this. And I'm going to have to build it up again. Right? Like the person that gets sick. Anybody ever had the experience when you're sick and you wonder, am I ever going to get better? <laughs> yeah? Even for a week or three days. Is this ever going to end? 
because it's like all pervasive illness. It's like, is it going to end? Maybe I have some kind of disease, some terminal illness. You're just coughing, you know. <coughs> what was that? Was there blood? No. Thank goodness. <laughs> so do you, do you see how deep this runs? This is, the, this is life anxiety. To maintain the stream of happiness at all costs. People go to extraordinary ends to maintain that in the face of change. So now you can use that for your insight meditation and start to spot that. It's very important, actually, in insight, that you can actually spot the systemic anxiety that comes because uh, you don't want to change. You, you want to stay where you are, or now that you're not feeling very good, you want to get out of it. So that would be like the hungry ghost. Like a hungry ghost. Yeah, yeah like a hungry ghost. Can't be satisfied. But you are satisfied, yeah. but it's going to be subject to loss. Yeah. And it can happen how fast in meditation? In a retreat? In the day you don't notice it normally, but in a retreat, how fast can it just go? Like that. Suddenly, you know, you're sitting there, wow, this is so. Have you ever had this? You probably have. This is a perfect meditation. You're talking, you know, Chris talked. This is a, there's the, it's, the, it's the golf commentator, right? The golf commentator? It's like Tiger Woods of. <laughs> of meditation. It's just like perfectly lined up. The alignment's right, the mind is right, blissfully clear. It's ideal. Uh-oh. And then suddenly, oh, what was that? Oh, you know, and you're away. Then all of a sudden, maybe a, a, a big jump of stories and all kinds of things. And, oh, man, what would happen if, did I leave the stove on? And, and you know, and something, to, you know. <laughs> it's coming out. It's coming out. It's good. So, exactly right. So what? So what? So. But so. I'm just thinking, you know, about how you. It's a problem. Yeah, I know. But it's like when so going. I mean, it's bad enough when I notice that I'm doing exactly what you described. Here. <laughs> yeah. you know, I'm here. You know, I should be. So and then you go back to that other world out there, and where and I don't see another world out there. Bomb, you are bombarded. Yeah, totally. It, it, it's it, it's absolutely insidious. Oh, you're waking up. This oh, is good. no, I mean, I've known this yeah. for a while, but it's really beginning to bother me. <laughs> you're waking up to it. So, 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 so like, where's the sea anchor to keep you kind of on course? Because, boy, it's seductive. And it's it's subtle and, and insidious. And um, This is called samsara. I, well, there I know that now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but a holy doodle, you know, that's you right. Have, this is called enlightenment. <laughs> holy doodle. Holy doodle. Someone is actually attaining enlightenment. Holy doodle. It is. It's holy doodle, and you and you have to come to that. You must come to the mountain of holy doodle. And actually, it's actually really. It's actually one of the insight stages, classic insight stages. The utter fear, loathing, unbelievable sensation of the nature of dukkha, that clinging, that clinging. 
that clinging, incessant clinging, the incessant mountain of it. And I have my, I have people who say, you are clinging for me. And yes, I, yes, they're helping you. Know, it's like a companion clinging. That's right. <laughs> These are self-help. No, I don't want to be. You can't do. <laughs> right. Just just walk out of here and find out what happens. Self-help groups of how to cling. They're they're designed to maximize the clinging factor. It's it's uh, it's scary. It's, yeah, and you should be. So you have to cross that of the the scary. How absolutely terrifying! It's called terror. The world of samsara really is because it's pinning one. To the wall. It's pinning. It's that powerful. It's pinning. You have to come to that. It's good. Uh, and then you will have the energy to come out. Yeah. So, what's the solution? You have to wake up. You have to come out of the bewilderment. You can no longer, be, not because, see, the thing is, people, you're still looking, because I can hear it in your voice, you're still looking for a solution and an antidote. Come out of all story-making to a clear, natural, vivid mind that doesn't have to make up any stories. It just sees it as it is. It doesn't, no longer has to go to clinging support groups called little gossip circles and things like that. It doesn't have to. It doesn't have to. It doesn't want to even go there. But you may, as a compassionate, loving being, you may go there to help beings come out of it, even to listen. And when you have been come free of it, your presence then is a palpable change for those beings. They know the game's up. They may not even invite you back. It's true. Why? They don't invite you back. They know the game's up. They can feel it. They don't even know what it is. They know it's, you're not playing their game. Okay, walk on. There's lots of lovely beings out there that, that are um, getting brighter and brighter and brighter. Make those your make those your friends. As the Buddha said, don't associate with fools. You want to you want to you want to short circuit your spiritual life. Associate with fools, beings caught in utter delusion. So what's the so the, what's the antidote? Wisdom, realization, true insight. That's unshakable. Unshakable insight. Well, I think what I'm also hearing is a really finely tuned bullshit detector. Exactly. Ganau. It goes beep, 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 beep. Yes, and in one's own being. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it goes yeah. off like an alarm call. Yeah. <laughs> like a carbon monoxide <laughs> detector. I could download a different... Uh... A different one. You'd like to have it. Beethoven's knife goes off every time. No. Not at the moment. Is it because it says right there? I was just reading. It says not. Now only. No, okay. That. Not only that, one who achieved the state of Brahma and so forth, king of the gods who transcended desire world and who experienced the pleasure of meditative concentration would eventually fall. Letter to the friend says, one who achieves the pleasure and happiness of Brahmahood, free from the desire world, 
will again become the fuel of Avicii. That's the Avicii hells you don't want to get into the Avicii hells and suffer continuously. Okay, so that ends the uh, uh, number two. But remember, number two, the um, suffering of change is really about the fear of change. In other words, putting up a fight about change and doing maximizing the clinging to happiness and knowing you're going to lose it. Isn't that a suffering state? And you know it's going down. And when you wake up to that and you see other and you, and you, and you see other people and yourself, but you see other people doing that, it's a hell. Because it's total bewilderment. It's like, well, I'll, I'll, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do this, and it's happiness. But then they come back, you know, like I had a holiday, but now I feel more tired. Or I paid all this money, but I didn't get what I thought I would get. You know, all these kinds of over and over and over and over again. Or it went really well, it was just beautiful. But now I've got to return home to my job. Have you heard that? I had a gr I'm having a great time, a wonderful time. But I have to go home. Amazing. I have to go home there. As if it's rock, island, silo. It's rock, iron, chain, ball around your neck. I have to go there. I have to be that way. This is the way it's going to be. How many millions of people like that? Billions of people. Billions. How about people? some people who live on garbage dumps? You know, they live on garbage dumps. They sleep near the garbage dump and they actually mine the garbage dump all day. A burning garbage dump or a smelly burning garbage dump all day. This is my life. I have to live here. Extraordinary. Yeah. Yes, Raphael. Okay. I just keep doing that. Number three, suffering of suffering. Now, third, the suffering of suffering. <laughs> suffering of suffering is the appearance of all the greater sufferings in addition to the suffering which pervades the moment we have the affected skandhas. This, you know skandhas? Do you all know that term now? Mm -hmm. Do you want to write those on the board there, Raphael? Just, just, just in case it slips to mind, because that word is used a lot and very important. Ask yourself a question. Are the skandhas ever afflicted? Just like a world... Are the skandhas suffering? Do skandhas ever suffer? It's the mind that sees the skandha. It's also the mind that creates the skandha in the first place to inhabit. It wants it. Ever had, for instance, watch yourself in meditation, wanting to open your eyes, wanting to shut your eyes, wanting to change the perceptual quality because it's not what you want. So we, we actually create the skandhas. We create them. We build them. We build perception. Now, it's not, obviously, not very conscious. 
we build perception, we build consciousness, we build feelings, and we build patterns of it. Let's put for Sankara uh, patterns, patterns of mental activity. Also known as uh, in, intentional mind. Inten- waves of intentional mind. Like a pond with the waves going this way, that way, this way, that way. So this consciousness is not ultimate consciousness. It's the consciousness that actually sees duality. That sees a yes and a no, a black and a white, a, uh, a wall and a chair, people and trees. Uh, it names, it names, it names, it names. It's also the ability to see into the past, what you did in the past. It's also the ability to predict. It's the ability to, to experience uh, now, nowism, now, nowness. So this is a very powerful aspect of everything that we do is sensory consciousness, feeling consciousness, this imbuing uh, what would be, if you want, dead matter with activity. A bit like having a computer that has no, um, what's the word, life to it, but imbuing the activities with a sense of uh, life and activity, of awareness, bringing up to awareness. So it says, Now third, the suffering of suffering is the appearance of all the greater sufferings, in addition to the suffering which pervades the moment we have the afflicted skandhas, the moment of conception. And that can be uh, just about every moment. Conception, 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 conception. The skandhas get reborn again and again and again and again and again. Yes? Yes, yes. Ujjnana. Ujjnana in Sanskrit. That's in, that's in Pali. Vijnana. And there's a long A. Maybe, this, the, maybe the first day is long, I'm pretty sure. Or the second day is long. Isn't that no, in, in Vijnana. I think so. I think, I think it's the first. But, uh, not, the, not the best. Uh, thank you. Not the best speller. And Sanya, I think the last A is long. But pretty good overall. Not bad. It's good. So that's when they say the five skandhas, look at a big five in front of skandhas. Pancha, Pancha skandha. Uh, five is, um, is the, what they call the five heaps, the five aggregates. Very important. It's a technical, a technical term and understanding you should all know. Why? It's going to be referred to throughout the text, but it is the model from the Buddha's time since in all of Buddha's and insight meditation practice for what constitutes the self-aggregation. Okay? In other words, this is the self. You want to find a self? This is the self. Like little atomic particles. If you want to make an atomic theory of self, which is preposterous, but little to- each one of these is as atomic particles going like this. And because of all that jostling of these functioning, it feels 
it, it gets, and because consciousness has evolved, it feels like there's a me happening, an actor. There's an actor happening, but you will look and find, you cannot find the actor. You can't find its location. You can't find its source. You can't find its location. You can go like this, but that's only because you learned that. On meditation, on actual contemplation, you won't be able to go like this anymore. You might even want to go like that. So this is a very, very important. It will be you. You'll see it come up again and again and again. Technically, this is something to to learn and memorize because it's at the heart of almost all insight traditions. Whether it's in Southeast Asia, whether it's in Vajrayana, in Tibet, whether it's China, Japan, doesn't matter. Almost every single tradition. This is core. This is like really central. This is what what one contemplates over and over. In some way, contemplates over. Even when you come to, for instance. Uh, the Dhyana Buddhas. Well, for instance, the jewels on the crown, there's five major jewels. That's this. So here in the text it says what? Bad. Here? Afflicted skandhas. Here? What are they? Transcendental. Transformed into transcendental skandhas. So, so what, what, this, is, this is Mahayana teaching. It's not Vajrayana teaching. He, he moves back and forth. But most of the time, it's Mahayana. Good, 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 basic, down-home understanding of what causes suffering. It's important to learn. Very important to learn. And so earlier, you mentioned that the five skandhas are the five wisdom. They, they, will, they eventually appear as the five lights, the five pristine natures, and eventually as manifestations of the five wisdom Buddhas. So they get purified? They don't get, not necessarily. You can say, in one, in one way of parlance, you can say they get purified. Another way, say they never get purified. They're already ultimately pure. What's, what's wrong with consciousness? What's wrong with perception? Is it tainted? So what changes? What, the, the, the view, the view. The, the, the uh, traces behind it, the traces behind it need to be purified. So if it's building a sense of let me, let me give you an example. Let me give you an example. Have you ever felt dim? Mm-hmm. Just Pretty dim? Often. Okay, but dim. <laughs> and the consciousness feels dim. And then you have pockets in the day or the week or the year or the <laughs> but pockets where it feels very, very bright and clear, yes? Mm-hmm. As if you've peeled something back. Have you, you've all had this? Yes, they could peel something back. So, uh, if it's afflicted, it's like a covering, like a surface covering. But every once in a while it gets peeled back and it's radiantly bright. It's clear and purified. But the way it's normally taught is, it, is this must be purified. There's two different ways of, of practicing and seeing, two different views. One is it's impure and it must be purified. And number two, and, and to be reborn into that is difficult. Number, number three is wake up and see it's actually the nature <laughs> of the wisdom mind. So, okay. But right now, the afflicted skandhas. Within this category, one should understand two types of suffering. Suffering of the lower realms and suffering of the higher realms. If one were to explain the first type, the lower realms, it consists of these three. Of which, of which there's many categories. Are you holding on to your hats? Ready? Okay. Hell, 
Hungry Ghost, and Animal Realms, A, B, C. Each of these should be understood through four categories, classification, location, type of suffering, and lifespan. So each one uh, is described in terms of these four categories. Okay. Now, uh, just because you don't believe in rebirth, and just because you don't believe that uh, a whole bunch of feet down below, there's beings who are cutting each other up in a hell state, okay? Or over uh, in a little bay uh, of Trincomalee Channel, there is some hidden beings um, uh, warring with each other. Or up on the ridge, there are demigods that are uh, at war with each other. So just because you don't believe that doesn't mean that you can't develop discernment for all different beings wandering through these states that are going to be described at some point in their life, at some point in the year, at some point of a month, at some point of a week, a day, an hour. Did you follow why this is so important? So even if you don't believe in rebirth and you don't have that as a feeling, as a certainty, you weren't raised in a culture of that certainty, right? So, so most of you won't have that as a certainty. In another culture, they'd be bewildered that you wouldn't. Completely bewildered. Totally bewildered. If you said, you know, if you do some really difficult actions, there is rebirth, and you will be, the, the, this is absolutely fundamental to the entire belief system. Yeah. You would more readily believe in a Higgs boson <laughs> than in a hell state uh, that's thousands of kilometers down below you because it's down on the earth and there's beings being roasted with uh, liquid uh, molten br uh, brass all day long. How do they do it day after day after day? The bodies must get repaired over and over and over again. Like, you know, like a bad dream. So all of you had bad dreams? Have you had repeating dreams? Like in the dream it repeats and again and again and again? Yeah, that's, that's this. And could you believe, let's be very, very clear about this, could you believe the mind, or not the mind, but the brain snapping? And all day long, these states run over and over and over and over again. A snapping of the brain, snapping of the consciousness where it goes, <clears throat> I'm being roasted alive, I'm being burnt up. Or people are after me all day. They're poking me. Do, do, can you see that? Yeah. Hell. Living hell. A, the hell realm. First is a classification of the hell realms. Uh, there are eight hot and eight cold hells, making 16. Which with the occasional hells and neighboring hells totals 18. Very even numbers. Nicely totals up. Yes? Number one, hot hells. Just so you get a feeling for the range of hells. Hot hells. Where are the hot hells located? Anybody answering? <laughs> Don't see the hands going up. Below this Jambudipa. Jambudipa is the term for the, con the great continent of India. India, Tibet. This large landmass called Jambudipa. Uh, some people just refer to it as Earth, uh, like the earthly realm, but um, it, it really means for those people living. You have to remember, this is the, I don't know if you know, do you all know this? This is the 
uh, model of the, of the celestial world of, of the entire cosmos according to the Abhidhamma, Abhidharma tradition of ancient India um, as um, in the Buddha's time and onward and was their model among scholars, among uh, sophisticated, educated types. Uh, this is the model of exactly how the universe is. Okay, So I, I hope you all know that. When you're reading this, just know that someone brought up in that in this culture would say, for sure, this is all real. Just as we say, well, we, we, we now know that there are galaxies. They've just imaged a galaxy that's three billion light years away. Isn't that extraordinary? I just saw a picture of it on the internet today. It just came up and I went, that's amazing. Three, an image of a galaxy with, I think, billions of stars. Three billion light years away. And that's still about, I think, maybe I don't have my math right, I think it's still about three billion years short of the, um, of the beginning of the universe, something like that, just the way the light year travel. So they're getting closer. There's a new telescope being developed. It's either going to be built in, in uh, South Africa or in Australia, and it's called the One Kilometer Array. And it's one kilometer of, t- of, of telescopes. And uh, theoretically, it will be able to see back to the very, in time, back to the very, very birth of the first stars. So another huge jump. So if you think three, being able to image something that is three billion light years ago, and that light took three billion years to travel here, to image it, a one-kilometer telescope array is going to push that another three billion years back. It's quite something, isn't it? So listen to how I'm talking. Yeah? Do you hear how I'm talking? What's the belief system? That those images are real, that there are galaxies and solar systems, and, and some of you do, so, do you all know that there's now something like there's over a thousand planets that have been found and documented and confirmed by other researchers uh, beyond our solar system. Do you all know that? And there's actually planets being discovered every single day now, sometimes two or three or four, every single day. And, and Earth-sized planets. And very soon the technology determines what kind of gases are around those planets and how much oxygen and nitrogen and, and so on. So how am I talking? I'm pretty convinced, aren't I? This is the model of the universe based on what? Things I read, things that I see, and so on. But for someone living 2,500 years ago, 2,000 years ago, this is what you get raised in. And you can sometimes see these creatures. So if someone comes back, a yogi or a wise being or someone you trust, and has been out in the desert, you'll see references to this, or been in a cave, and they saw uh, all these radiant beings with certain size and, and the various things, they would report that to others. And because they're a wise being and they're, they're well-regarded size, not a liar or anything else, that would get put into the belief system as the person said, I'm sure that was a heavenly state. Or what I witnessed when I was in meditation or I was in a retreat or I was wandering the desert is I actually all of a sudden saw the Avicii Hells. 
So when enough people see these things, right, you report them to each other and they see them. So I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but we do the same thing. If I tell you that there's something over 1,000, it might even be 2,000 now, extra solar system planets, I don't lie. So you can take that on faith that you can go on the Internet and look that up, yes? And that becomes now part of your world model experience. Do you follow? Where somebody else living in a different place at a different time would say, that's preposterous, you've got to be lying. You must be lying. Well, the Buddha wouldn't. He'd say, oh, actually, you're wrong. There's billions. Because I... I've seen them. The, the, the Buddha talked about billions of planets, billions of galaxies, even described their shapes. Pretty amazing. Amazing, isn't it? So remember, remember, if you start laughing at this, don't. This is, this is just as solid as our belief system due to our instrumentation and various other things about how our world system is. Like people believing that uh, the economics that we have is, is a sure thing, and it's, it's how we're supposed to live our lives. Yes? Yeah. Where are the hot hells located? Below this Jambudipa, below, so it's below. Got it? Down there. Many beings rush there. Lowest is the Avicii, or constant suffering hell. Above that are the pratapana, or intense heat hell, the tapana, or heating hell, the maharavara, the great howling hell, the ravura, or howling hell, the samkata, the samkata, or crushing hell, the kalasutra, or black thread hell, and the samjiva, or reviving hell. Thus the treasury of Abhidharma says, to 20,000 yojanas below here is the constant suffering hell. Above that are the other seven hells. It's all described in very good detail. Right? Locations, distances, all mapped out. Okay. What types of suffering do they produce? This is explained according to their names. In the first, reviving hell beings cut and kill each other, after which a cold breeze comes. When the breeze touches their bodies, they are revived again. Over and over and over again for thousands of earth years. Over and over and over again. This happens repeatedly until their lifespan has ended. In the black thread hell, the bodies of beings who are born there are cut by flaming swords or flaming axes wherever a black thread has marked their bodies. Thus it is said, some are cut by swords, and others are chopped by sharp axes. In the crushing hell, the bodies of beings who are born there are crushed between two big mountains or between iron plates. Notice it's not aluminum. Iron. First, two big mountains come together like ram's heads and crush these beings. After that, these two mountains separate and cool breezes revive their bodies as before. Then again, they are crushed. The letter of training says... Two terrifying big mountains, like ram's horns, crush the body into powder between them. Others are pressed between iron plates, and a stream of blood comes forth like four rivers. As is said, some are pressed like sesame seed, others are ground into a fine flour. Pretty awful, isn't it? You don't want to go there. In the howling hell, 
The sentient beings who are burning there make terrified cries of fear. In the greater howling hell, the cries are more terrified due to the greater suffering. In the heating hell, beings are tortured by fire and so forth. Molten bronze is poured into their bodies and burns the internal organs of the body. Then they are pierced from the anus through to the crown of the head with a thorn, thorny one-pointed weapon. By the way, some of these things are old, ancient torture methods. You know that, eh? Yeah. Certain cultures had uh, extraordinary dif different kinds of torture methods for criminals or political prisoners and uh, uh, extraordinarily vicious. These are some of them. That's where they're coming from, by the way. In the intense heating hell, he heating hell beings are tortured even more. Molten bronze and so forth burns their bodies' entire interior, leaving only the skin, and flames appear from the nine passages. Nine passages? The nine orifices of the body. Again, they are pierced from the anus and soles of the two feet through to the crown of the head and the two shoulders by a thorny three-pointed weapon. Thus it is said, Likewise, some are boiled in a burning stream of molten metal. Others are pierced on hot, thorny weapons. In the constant suffering hell, there is a blazing metal house, 20,000 20, yojanas in height and length, in which there is a bronze kettle, many yojanas across. That kettle, uh, beings are cooked in burning molten bronze and copper. Fire surrounds them in the four directions. Thus it is said, some are cooked like rice soup in a huge kettle made of metal. Pretty terrifying, eh? Imagine, eh? For thousands of years. Because there is no break from the suffering is called the constant suffering hell. What is the lifespan of these beings? The treasury of Abhidharma says, in reviving and so forth, the six hell realms, one day is equivalent to a day, one day is equivalent to a day in the lifespan of gods of the desire realm. Therefore, their span, lifespan resembles that of the gods of the desire realm. Thousands and thousands of years. Each one is listed of this thousand years, 20,000 years, 30,000 years, and so forth. The lifespan of the four guardian kings is equal to one day and one night of the reviving uh, hell realm. So I'm not even going to go and discuss this in detail. But what I want you to do is I want you to pick up elements of this. You could actually look up each of these names in Sanskrit in the Sanskrit dictionary. Okay, I, I, I did that many, many moons ago. And actually see some of the inner meanings of what these are. So maybe you could try doing that. The Sanskrit's in here. Look them up in Sanskrit, see if you can find them. And look for the meanings, look for the roots, and go, what kind of hell really is this? What are they really describing? What's, a howl, what's, a, what's, what's the inner meaning or the, the root of a howling hell? What's that like psychologically? So it's, it's good to look that up. Lifespan of the four guardian kings is equal to one day and one night of the reviving hell realm. So 30 days are one month, 12 months make one year, in their terms, the lifespan in the reviving hell is 500 years. In human terms, this is equal to, is it one trillion? I didn't work that out. Maybe it's, uh, it's million, billion, one trillion, uh, 600. That's a lot, isn't it? Years. That's a lot of universes coming and going. Wow. 
That's something. Likewise, the lifespan of the black thread hell is 1,000 years, which is similar to that of the heaven of the 33 God realm. In human terms, it's equal to, oh, something like 12 trillion years. The lifespan in the crushing hell is 2,000 years, which is similar to that of the free of combat gods. In human terms, this is equal to 103 trillion years. Do you want me to give you exact numbers? You, you need, do you need that for any reason? The exact numbers? No. Okay. You have it in your text to memorize. There'll be a test at the end of the uh, tomorrow. It's Friday, yes. There'll be a test uh, tomorrow evening where you will be uh, having to write down without your book. No open open tests with that. Right? Do the do the math and arrive at the correct number. I'm joking, just in case you're getting worried. <laughs> the lifespan of the howling hell is 4,000 years, which is similar to that of the joyous realm gods in human terms is equal to uh, 829 trillion years. The lifespan of the greater howling hell, I want to see if we're going to break the trillion. In lifespan of the greater howling hell is 8,000 years, which is similar to that of the enjoying emanation gods. In human terms, this is equal to, ah, we did. So trillion, gazillion, is that right? I think so, yeah. Six gazillion. 6.6 gazillion years. The lifespan in the heating hell is 16,000 years, which is similar to that of the controlling others' emanation gods. Controlling others' emanation gods. In human terms, this is equal to 53 quadrillion or so, yeah? Yes. The lifespan of those in the intense heating hell is one-eighth of a culpa, uh, that of the constant suffering hell is one quarter kalpa. These are very large, vast numbers of universal of universes cycling uh, through. It is said, quote, in the intense heating hell, one half anta, anta kalpa, in the constant suffering hell, one anta kalpa. Long, just get the idea. Very, very long. But, Here's something interesting. In the teaching of Buddha Dharma, it doesn't last forever. So you can be comforted to know that these hells, unlike another religion, are not forever. They only last about a trillion years, and then there is relief. Either you can go to another hell, <laughs> you might get promoted to an animal realm, and you might find yourself in a human realm, but you don't, that can be pretty dicey, yes? How many people would say, if I was going to be born, I want to be reborn as a human? And the confidence that you'll land, end up in Canada, uh, born to, or, or Mexico, or United States, born to a nice family with good circumstances. What do you think the chances of that are? Because you, you have so much control over your consciousness? Like when you go to sleep at night, you can actually direct your dreams here and there and do whatever you want. But isn't that way it feels like, well, well, I would be reborn as a human, not in one of these realms, would I? Yeah. Don't be so certain. Where the consciousness could end up. So being reborn on planet Earth could be pretty awful experience, yes? Depending on where you end up. And right now, as there has been for thousands of years, 
there are some very uncomfortable places to be reborn on this planet. Should we, maybe, maybe tomorrow, neighboring hells, we've got neighboring hells, we've got the eight cold hells, we've got the occasional hells, the hungry ghost realm, the animal realm, the human realm. So I intend to read all this, okay? And I think we'll go through one more tonight, but I'll read it through quite quickly. Why? Because I'm going to read the entire text. It's important to, it's called transmission, the entire text. Neighboring hells. These are located in the four directions around the eight hells. In the first additional hell, there are burning ashes in which beings sink up to their knees. Looking for a way to escape from the hot hell realms, beings step in this, and all their skin, flesh, and blood burn up. When they raise their legs to take a step, they are rejuvenated again, and then they go through it again. So over supper tonight, uh, I was mentioning uh, that I grew up most of my uh, tweeny, what is it? Teen, teen, uh, tweens. tweens, these are new terms learning. Tweens, preteens. What's 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 below? There's a child. Is it child children or what do we have? Do we have terms for those things like ten year olds, eight year olds, nine year olds? Okay, so in that area, but lived up very similar to looking out the the back, and there was a ravine that went down uh, in Toronto. But I was describing that we had quicksand down there. We had pockets of quicksand. So so Eve said. Well, you know, something like, did you die or something? Or did you, <laughs> not like that, but, but could you have died? What? How deep? How deep? How deep? Could you die? Something like that. I said, no, we never measured it. But we did sink down. We tried it out and sunk down. So this would be like a hell, you know, a, hell, a, a fearsome place to go was these uh, pools of quicksand that were just actually below the house off to the uh, left side um, in the ravine, off, off the path. If you went off the path, there was these pools of, of quicksand. There are quicksand places that can kill. Don't know. We never went that. As I said, we never went that far to, to test it out. And didn't use a lead, you know, a lead line to do the depth testing. You know, lead line, big depth, down with a sink, and then until it hits, and then draw it up and measure it. That came later. Okay, so it could be though you could you could end up in a quicksand hell. Ever had a dream of, of being in quicksand? Yeah. Quicksand hell. Over and over and over again. Being swallowed up. Uh, suffocating. Happening again and again and again and again. Next to that, the second additional hell is an unclean, rotten corpse swamp. Is an unclean, rotten corpse swamp where beings are pierced to the bone by insects with white bodies, black heads, and sharp beaks. By the way, you do know, eh? You do know that there are beings that experience these, yes? Yeah. There are beings from time to time that, that have these visions and go through these things. Besides that, the third additional hell... Do you know where this all comes from? How do people on Earth, as humans, experience these different ones? Because they actually go through it in vision or as schizo it's, it's moments of schizophrenia, but also in vision and actually go through these and get to experience it uh, firsthand or in, in vision or clairvoyance or uh, whatever you want to call it. So just to let you know, these can be experienced. Beside that, the third additional hell 
consists of a road filled with razors where all the trees and forests have razor leaves. Fierce, furious, brindle dogs live there. There is a forest with leaves like iron spikes, and there are ravens with iron beaks. Those who wander there suffer great wounds. Next to that, the fourth additional hell. What are you seeing as a pattern here? Are you seeing a pattern immersion? There's, there's patterns that you can glean from reading this. They're very important. Hmm? One thing is the suffering is, is repetitive, right? So there's something that happens, and then they're refreshed, and it happens all over again. So right. There's something like like a very, very bad nightmare over and over again. Something else. I mean, not testing you, just saying it's quite interesting to read this. It's cultural. No mention of iron, bronze, and copper. No mention of aluminum mountains or titanium mountains. No mention of cell phones. Could you imagine the uh, the cold hell of the cell phone, where you make a call on your cell phone, like here, uh, and it drops out after a few minutes, <laughs> and then you try again, and you you go to another place and you make a phone call, and just as you're getting the operator, it drops out. And then the next time, you get the operator, and you go along a little bit, and it drops out. Do you know, one time, I'll just tell you, it was last summer in retreat, started in retreat, and we had about, um, we had all the air fleet, airplane flights to make around the world, right? So Jamie was making all these flights and organizing it. And then it was time to put it all in my visa card. So I said, Jamie, go, go ahead. You know, but I was in a retreat, so I sent him a note, go ahead, authorization, go ahead, and it doesn't go through. So Jamie sends me a note, we got a problem here, your visa is not going through. So I'm in retreat, I've been in retreat now for three weeks. He comes and sees me, he says, uh, I tried to phone, they won't even talk to me. Of course not, right? So uh, I give them some things to say, and they, now they won't talk to him, okay? So don't, no idea what's going on. So three days it took. In, while in retreat to find out that my visa had been cancelled by visa because someone had used my visa card to book an airplane ticket from Vietnam, a Vietnamese travel company. See? So they cancelled it. Just like that. But it took, with the cell phone received last year, <laughs> it took three days to clear this up of phone calls, which is, uh, yes, could you tell us your mother's maiden name? Yes, her name is T- <laughs> And then eventually, when you get the operator and it doesn't drop off, when you get the operator it doesn't drop off because you've been waiting 20 minutes, then you go, okay, now listen, look at my file, uh, open my file. Uh, sir, you have to tell us the following information before we can open that file. No, look at my file right now. Here's, go through it really quickly because I'm on a cell phone on North Galliano Island. Where's that? Click. <laughs> Three days it took. Three days. So when I talk about a um, cell phone hell, I wasn't hell. It wasn't hell. I was actually very nice. Eventually, I tried the road down there, and eventually, I decided, okay, I've got to come up to the house, and sat in my office off on and on every day for three days to 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 do this before we could finally order the air tickets. But, but so so you could have mo- you notice there's no modern versions here. So see, you can come up with modern versions. Cell phone hell. Propane fridge. Yes, get the idea. A whole, whole, uh, whole 
uh, realms filled with propane fridges that were not designed right, that the parts keep falling, they don't work right, over and you're fixing them day, and then they get going, right? Is this right? They get going and then what happens? <laughs> yeah, mysteriously, they stop again. Yes, and then the propane runs out. So, so, so real, when, you real, when you read this, realize that this is very, very um, cultural to, to a certain period in time of how they were experiencing and conceiving these, these various uh, realms. Yeah? So. Well, they still do it for me. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Don't think they're so far off because uh, beings on Earth experience these very vividly and very real. So it's not, it's not that you can discount them and say, these spaces don't exist. Could you imagine minds that, that get reborn and end up in their own uh, awful bad dream states for years and years and years and years and years and years. And if it's serious karmic material, for thousands of years just repeating these bad dreams over and over and over again. So uh, uh, get a feeling for that. Okay, let's carry on. I'm just going to finish up here before the eight cold hells. The guardians of the hell realm, the yamas in human form, and the ravens with iron beaks and so forth, they, uh, are, they, are they sentient beings or not? So are these beings sentient beings? Are they uh, beings that have feelings and consciousness and so on? The Vibhashika school, this is a school of... of um, you could say a school of Buddhist philosophy, but it's actually a stream of, of Buddhist um, thinking and um, framework. So, and they had their own Abhidhamma, they had their own Abhidhamma too, a modification of Abhidhamma. The Vibhashika school says that they are sentient beings, and the Satrantaka school, the Satrantaka is a very early Abhidhamma school, um, an offshoot of what you may call mainstream although they thought they were mainstream. So you have to watch for these things. If you, lose, you're, if you lose, you're not mainstream. If you win, you're mainstream. So the Satrantaka philosophical school of, of Buddha Dharma lost a number of debates and um, went into obscurity. But their writings, I studied in university, the Satrantaka and Vibhashika schools, and actually some very, very good. They just didn't make it. Um, because uh, the debating philosophy, the debating, the debating tradition in India, very, very strong testing out all these ideas, all these schools, great meditation masters, as well as scholars, debating with each other and, and working uh, these principles out. And those schools say that they are not sentient beings. The Yogacara school, later school, and, well, actually happened during that time, the mind, so-called mind-only school, and the lineage of Marpa Mila Repa, uh, say that they are that they manifest in the minds of sentient beings by the power of those beings' evil deeds. In other words, these are sentient beings. No matter what qualities they are, they're sentient beings. In relation to this, engaging in the conduct of bodhisattvas says, who intentionally created all the weapons for those in hell? So who did this? Like, where did all the weapons come from? Imagine, so you're in hell, and you get reborn into hell, not you, but a being gets reborn in hell. Where do all the weapons show up from? Like, who bought all the weapons? And then, if you're if you are being tortured by by the wet with the weapons, who's doing the torture? Are these sentient beings doing the torturing? So this was a this was a major point 
of philosophical, experiential worldview that they, they debated for hundreds of years. These kinds of questions, I studied these in the university. You know, so all these lists, they're called points of controversy. There was, so after the Buddha passed away, there's all these points of controversy to do with life and insight and questions of insight. And schools debated them, monastic schools debated them for, for centuries and centuries. Still going on today. Still happening today. Who intentionally created all the weapons for those in hell? Who created the burning iron ground? From where did all the women in hell ensue? The sage, that is the Buddha, has said that all such things are the workings of an evil, uh, unwholesome mind. So therefore they're quoting. Uh, he's, he's defending, Gampopa is defending his teachers and saying it's all mind creators, all based on karmic patterning. So these beings that are poking others, right, are also lost in, in, in hell. But they are of a, of a higher order. But they're still um, going through their karmic uh, formations. Good, we'll leave it there. What kind of dreams shall you have tonight? Whoa. So this doesn't make you get on with it. I don't know what's going to. And we have just begun the hells. You notice that, you know, have you, have you, when you've read this, have you noticed how fast the, hell, the heavens, how the, the heavenly states go through? It's been a lot of time on the hells. But the heavenly realms, boom, 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 boom. Remember, there, there are yogis, greatly attained yogis and yoginis, that can actually have memories of these. They describe them succinctly, of these different uh, states. And some can actually put their minds there and go in and experience them and come out and describe them. So just, just to give you an idea of thus I've been told, thus I've, I've learned and seen, uh, there are beings with extraordinary capacity to move their minds from realm to realm to realm, planet to planet to planet, and actually tell you uh, what it's like for consciousness to be there. The full range. The full range. So just to give you a little bit, um, not to depress you, but to tell you there's an extraordinary range of consciousness states uh, throughout time and space that can um, experience uh, joy and terrible suffering. And if you heap it up really, really badly, then that's where the consciousness ends up, like people living today. Schizophrenia, going on day after day after day after day after day. Or, or bliss, bliss realms, living in, in, in heavenly realms. Yeah. Good. Any questions at all? Any details about the, 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 the hell realms you'd like to know? So please carry on with your uh, refinement of mindfulness, refinement of ever-present, uh, ever-presence, and, and more and more contemplating the transience and movement and flux with more and more precision of the three Vedanas, of the three mental feelings. Okay? And also, uh, uh, very important, is the on-off on, 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 off, 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 almost digitally, of pain and pleasure 
uh, dukkha and sukha, technically, in the body. And not to be going good or bad at all, just being able to watch it moment by moment, uh, not dispassionately, with utter equanimity of a clear mind. Okay? That's good. So this, this brings you out in a moment. Idante punikamang asawaki wangotu, Idante punikamang asawaki wangotu, Idante punikamang asawaki wangotu. Sabesata sigdhantu, may all beings be all unhappy, may all beings be established in a perfect continuity of freedom and the unity of wisdom and compassion, eventually manifesting in full Buddhahood for all beings. Saramangalam, Saramangalam, Saramangalam. Good.